Hi, it's Tuesday, and this is Allegra with your weekly dose of modern life. Healthier, easier, more fun. Starting next week, I'm actually going to be producing the podcast every other week, because for now, that's what I can maintain and stay sane. But hey, if I get some Patreon patrons, then I would love to produce this more often. So if you find this podcast helpful or useful, please write me a review on iTunes. They help more than you know. Or become a patron at patreon.com slash Allegra Ramos. I'm really, really excited about today's show because today's show is all about one of my favorite topics ever, which is creativity. I'm going to talk a little bit about what creativity is, why it's often misunderstood, and some ways that you can stimulate it. Then we're going to have a chat with my friend Darius Lex, a musician who is just so inspiring and such a wonderful person. I'm so grateful to know him, and I'm excited to share his music with you. And then finally, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to be more creative in the kitchen. All this and more after this brief musical interlude. See you after the tunes. theme of this show, creativity. I love being creative. I think it is one of the most fulfilling things that I do. And I don't just mean creative in the traditional sense of the word, singing, writing, those types of creativity. I also enjoy the creativity that is involved with problem solving. In fact, there have been brain studies that show that whether or not you're being creative in the traditional sense of the word, as in the arts, or creative in terms of solving a difficult problem, you're actually using the same parts of your brain. Now here's the really cool thing about being creative. You can actually train your brain to be more creative so that when you're faced with a problem at home or at work, be it artistic or financial, your brain will come up with more options. And I think this is just not only a great skill to have, it is also so fun and fulfilling. There is nothing better than when you are stuck up against a problem that looks insurmountable. It's like a brick wall. And then suddenly the light of creativity shines through that wall and smashes it to bits. I actually recently had this happen with my cooking webinars that I'm coming up with. And I realized that You know, I had been waiting to do this kitchen remodel before I shot all my webinars. And then I realized that if I took my webinars and shot them at a table with a toaster oven and a hot plate, then I could answer the question that a lot of people have. A lot of people say to me, how can I cook the kind of food you cook, Allegra, when I don't have a fancy kitchen and I don't have all the gadgets and gizmos? And I'm always telling people, you don't need that much. And now I get to show people in my webinar exactly how little you need to make amazing food. And that problem solving was not just a creative solution to my problem. I think it's going to be a really important part of the message of my webinars, which I think is really exciting. So how can you train your brain to be more creative? Well, there are lots of exercises you can do, but here are a few of my favorite ones. One is called the incomplete figure exercise. With the incomplete figure exercise, what you do is close your eyes and doodle 
a quick little doodle, you know, just four or five marks on a piece of paper, and then open your eyes and turn that doodle into an actual recognizable image. It doesn't have to be fancy, it could be stick drawing, but turn it into something that someone could look at and say, oh, I know what that is. What you're exercising when you do this is seeing what's not there. And how often do we need that in our everyday life? We need to see a solution that doesn't exist. Another great exercise is called remote associates and it's a word exercise. And if you go to Google and type in remote associates test, you'll get lots of options, but basically you get a string of words and you have to figure out how to connect them. So for instance, cottage, Swiss and cake, what one word combines, connects all those words? Well, cheese right? Cottage cheese, Swiss cheese, cheese cake. It's, that's wonderful because what you're doing is you're teaching your brain to make far reaching connections to go beyond the obvious. Another fun way to be creative is to take everyday objects and turn them into something else. So for instance, a paper clip, what could you turn that into a pair of earrings, you know, a pin, lots of different ways that you can be creative with that. So check out some one or all of these exercises and get your brain working. And I'd love to hear what you thought of this and what you learned from this. So send me an email at hello at allegroramos.com. Or if you listen to me on the anchor FM app, you can actually call in to my show so I can play your voice on the air, which is super fun. Coming up next, we have my interview with my friend, musician, Darius Lux. And then after that, one of my favorite ways to be creative in the kitchen. Coming up after these tunes. Hi world, I am here with musician and friend of mine, Darius Lux. Hi Darius. Hey Allegra, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. So Darius is an amazing musician. I've known him and his wife, Tiffany, since, oh my gosh, what, 11, 12 years now? It's been a while. Yeah, I, you know, I think we met at the end of 2006. So 2006, that's short. Is that when you guys stopped? You finished your travels, your world travels? Is that around that time? Uh, well, we had lived in Hawaii for about a year, and then we moved to L.A. Um, in a... Uh, in the fall of 2006. And then I think we met you around November. It was pretty soon that we connected. And I knew immediately when I met Darius and his wife, Tiffany, that we were going to be lifelong friends, right? I kind of <laughs> You did, you called it. It's not often that you meet someone and within minutes they call it. I mean, and you said, you would get on really well with my husband and hey, presto, I mean, you know, Sean is a brother to me. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. And I actually even, I remember following up with you guys and I said, I know this might seem weird, but I know we're going to be friends for life. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just have to get together a couple of times and I promise it won't be weird. So when you know, you know, right? Exactly. Exactly. You, you guys were, you're, you were our Ethel and Fred, you know, I knew when I, wait, you're not, you're not American. Maybe you don't get that reference. Do you know who Ethel and Fred are? I, no, I don't. That might, I mean, I moved over here when I was in my late teens, but uh, that might be... You know I Love Lucy? Oh, yeah, I know the show, but I, I don't know the characters' names. Okay, so Lucy and Ricky, their best friends were Ethel and Fred. So that was their, their Ethel and Fred. 
So you guys uh. were our Ethel and Fred. So let's get into a little bit of background. You're from the UK, but you've tr lived all over. Where have you lived? Um, I mean, uh, I spent most of my childhood growing up in Northwest London. Um, my father traveled for work and would often be put uh, in a different country for one to two years. So kind of, you know, um, <clears throat> around 11 years old, uh, we got to live in Italy for a year and a half, which still impacts me today. I, I just, it was so amazing living in Milan. Um, and we, we spent um, half a year in Denmark as well, which was, which was really interesting as a kid. You know, it's a very different uh, type of uh, society and culture that's set up there. Were you there during the um, holidays so the, in Denmark, by any chance? Um, I think I was really young when we were there. We were probably there not during the holidays, because if it was the holidays, we were probably back in England. Okay, okay. Um, but it was like a whole other thing. I mean, uh, they're very communally based in Denmark. And I remember when um, we moved into this little house, it was on this long block of, of houses, and, and everybody came over and welcomed us. Um, to say hello and they brought food and stuff and I mean I, I'd never really we had never experienced that really as a family before so you know there's a real kind of a communal nature to that 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 Danish culture from what we experienced. Wow that's cool. Where else? You're just getting started. I know you have lots of oh, other Oh yeah well you know and then and then um when I was um 19 I I uh I moved to New York. I went to school. I transferred out of the London School of Economics, which wasn't really a good fit for me. And I uh, wound up going to Sarah Lawrence College uh, just outside of New York City. And uh, and then it's all, you know, it's all forward motion from there. I never really looked back, you know. I had a, had a great time living in New York for uh, about eight years. And that's where I met my wife, Tiffany. And then a couple of years after meeting each other, we just... Um, we got we kind of caught um, a wild spirit and decided to travel around the world for a year. And, and what so countries? we went to lots of countries. Woof. Well, we left out of San Francisco and we just basically headed west. So our first port of call was Hawaii. We went to Maui, Kauai. Um, then after that, we went to, um, I think it was Indonesia, Thailand, sorry, then Indonesia, Bali, um, then New Zealand, Australia. <coughs> Excuse me. After Australia, whew, I get confused now. It was a while ago. I think we went to India. From India, we went to Nepal. Uh, from Nepal, we then went to Italy. <laughs> uh, then we stopped off in the UK to see my family. Uh, then we did a little bit of time in um, Brazil. Uh, we stopped off in Chile, um, Costa Rica, and then we were back in the US. So that was like through a whole year. Um, they have a ticket through American Airlines called One World Explorer that's really affordable. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of that dream year we had. Um, and then at the end of that, um, we decided to move to Hawaii because we were so blown away by it when we traveled through it. Um, and, and that was that year before we moved to California. We met you guys that we were in Hawaii. So tell me something, because you and I have something in common in that we have this you know, diverse background, right? We have parents of different ethnicities. And then yeah. you've also lived and traveled a lot. Do you identify with a specific country or ethnicity or city? How, like, how do you categorize yourself if, if you were asked, you know, where's home? Um, 
you know, are I, you? that that question does come up now and then, and and um, I do consider myself a global citizen. I hope that doesn't sound too like highfalutin or highbrow. I don't mean <laughs> it to be. It's not supposed to be an arrogant thing. It's just um, I honestly feel that way at this point. I mean, I know that there are people in England who sometimes are a little disappointed and feel that, you know, well, why did you leave and never come back? And it's like, well, because you just, you follow your heart, you follow your spirit. And, you know, I spent um, almost 20 years in England. I mean, that was a good amount of time to spend there. I, it's nice to go back. There's things, great memories I have of it. There's things I still appreciate about it. But, you know, I mean, um, we live in an ever shrinking world. There's no doubt about that. Uh, not only the physical means of travel, but the virtual means of experience through the internet now. And, and I think the world's shrinking for everybody. And um, I think the more that the, our planet becomes a, a global play, playground for everybody, uh, the more commonality we find and, and the more, you know, you feel so many places can resonate with you as a home. You know, I mean, that's kind of, to me, the beauty of life and the beauty of our life on this planet that you can go anywhere and we, we share these common values as human beings. And we, you know, if you go to Hawaii, you can... Um, look at that sunset and feel what a Hawaiian person's feeling or what a Japanese person's feeling or what an Australian person's feeling. And if I, if I go to Everest or to Nepal and look up at Everest, you know, I'm filled with a sense of all that everybody of every walk of life can be filled with, you know, there's that, there's that collective experience. So yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, but, I totally yeah, I get said, what you're you know, feeling. Global citizen. <laughs> That doesn't sound highfalutin at all. I think we should all be global citizens. I think that's great. <laughs> so, so Darius, you know, you've done a lot of other interviews where people have talked about, you know, your musical background. So I'm trying to do it a little different because, you know, I really believe everyone in the world, the world would be a better place if everyone shared their gifts with the world. And, you know, I like to call people like you flamethrowers because you're really good at sharing your gift and, and spreading light. And, I've told you this a million times that my favorite song of yours is this song, Extraordinary, right? Which I know is going to be so huge because it's just, it's that type of song. This is, it's not a song. It's almost, it's an anthem, really. <laughs> and what I think is interesting about Extraordinary is that it's not about things that are extraordinary. It's actually about things that are ordinary, Right. Yeah. Tell me about when you wrote this song. Did you write it quickly? Did it take a long time? What was the inspiration? Well, that, that's that's um, that's definitely a good question to ask, especially after what we were just talking about. Um, it, it is it is my most pivotal song for a lot of reasons. I'll, I'll try and not go on too long about this, but in a nutshell, um, I was in Manhattan. I'd been there eight years. I, I was doing very well in terms of. Um, I'd always wanted to be in the traditional music industry and I was, and I'd gotten a good position in it and I was making great money and had a very good lifestyle. Um, and then, um, you know, September 11th happened. I was there for that. And after that, nothing was quite the same again. And I started questioning a lot of things and, and kind of wanting a, a deeper relationship with life. And um, so that's what catapulted us to travel around the world. And, and in, in effect, I quit music. You know, I, I'd, I'd hit a wall with it, um, especially the commercial side of it um, at that point. And so I, I decided to quit music. And part of going around the world was it was a vision quest to find where we wanted to live next and what, what I wanted to do next. And also my wife, what Tiffany wanted to do next. And 
so I'm going around the world and I'm trying to learn yoga and, you know, learn how to be a raw fruit chef. It was just the whole shebang. It was the whole, <laughs> the whole new age revolution. <laughs> I, 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 I was, I was very inspired. And, and as we were it was your own we, eat, we, pray, love. It, it was exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, and we, we kept, people kept telling us about this meditation practice uh, that comes out of India. They do have it in the U.S., but it, it comes out of India called Vipassana. And Vipassana is 10 days of uh, silent meditation. There's no speaking. There's no eye contact. Uh, there's 10 hours of meditation per day for 10 days. And me and Tiffany are like, well, that, that seems interesting. Why don't, we, why don't we try that out and see what impact that has? Um, so <clears throat> about halfway through this year of traveling, um, we arrived in India and we did this meditation. Um, and, I, you know, it, it's, it's a whole experience, that which I can't get into. But basically on the 10th day, I was sitting there. And I'd been sitting there for 10 days, kind of, you know, opening myself to life, saying, you know, please, send, I'd like to know what to do next. What is my calling? What should I do next? You know, and I was getting nothing for 10 days. On the 10th day, I heard this voice behind me. And it was almost a whisper. And the voice said, do your music, do your music. Uh, and this was 2004. And I, I thought, well, why am I being told this? Surely that's just myself telling myself that, uh, as you know, to fall back on what I already know. But this voice kept saying, do your music, do your music. And then it said, use the internet, which seemed crazy to me. I mean, 2004, <laughs> people still had telephone dial-ups. You know what I mean? I think the mm. only website there was was Friendster, which mm. was like people trying to date each other on it. And I just couldn't understand what that meant. But at the same time, I heard the song Extraordinary. This is the absolute truth. I heard that song play to me when this voice spoke to me. I heard the song Extraordinary play. It was like a download. I heard mm -hmm. the words. I heard the track, the final production. I heard the chords. Um, and that's never happened to me before. It actually hasn't happened to me since. But that one song, I feel, was a gift from somewhere else. And that kind of started me back onto the path of making music again, but making music for myself, from myself. It wasn't about making songs for, you know, Jennifer Lopez or Ricky Martin or Daryl Hall, or these people that we'd worked on in New York. This was like, you know, find your own voice, put out the music that you've wanted to make since you were a small child, you know, have, have the balls to do it, basically. Take the leap of faith, which I'd never really done. I'd never taken that leap. And so that was my takeaway from that Vipassana experience. And that was also what was a catalyst for that song and what everything that's come since. So I don't know whether I ever told you that story before. No, you haven't. <laughs> you I picked, didn't you, know this story. You picked the right song to ask me about because uh, it kind of ties I just always knew it was one. the one that resonated with me. And I mean, I could hear it as the theme song of my podcast because – I'll just read some of the lyrics. It's an ordinary morning on an ordinary day. There's an ordinary raindrop running down my window pane. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's so magical. It makes me want to cry. There's an ordinary human smiling at me on the street. There's a feeling that grows stronger with every person that I meet. And it's so wonderful because life's so beautiful. It's got me feeling high. Because we are ordinary, such extraordinary, ordinary people. I mean, it makes me tear up reading the words. It's so beautiful. It's, it's going to be huge. You, you heard it here, just like you're my Ethel and Fred. You heard it here. <laughs> I mean, you, well, yeah, you, call it, you said it was an anthem. It's an anthem of, of sorts. I, it's a prayer in a way as well, you know. I mean, I, I, 
it was it, those lyrics were born just of so many minute so many moments of traveling you know i mean you you go to a different place and after a couple of days you move to the next place and and there's all these things constantly moving around you and changing and then you almost in a way get touched by the by the smaller things around you you know and i, I still remember looking up and seeing that raindrop run down the window pane and um but yeah you know i mean i released that song out about 10 years ago so it, it, it's kind of permeating slowly you know it's not like it's hitting number one on billboard but that is a song that I notice touches people everywhere. When I play it live, people could be young or old, uh, but it strikes a chord in them. Okay, well, Darius, here, here, here's here's an interesting uh, story that's kind of related to what you just said. So first, I have to start it with a question, though. You recently covered Hallelujah. Was there What was the thought process behind deciding to do that? Hallelujah being uh, Leonard Cohen's really, really famous song. Yeah, you know, that is the most covered song of all time. It is. I think there's some official fact somewhere that that is the, it's the most recorded song of all time. Um, and, you know, honestly, it's, it's almost the reverse of the other song we're talking about. And that I've actually kind of um, pushed that song away for the longest time. I mean, everybody sings that song, you know, <laughs> everybody everywhere. And, um, and then um, I just, uh, I just thought, well, why don't I just, um, I play a lot of spiritual centers and churches as well, as you probably know. And so I kind of needed more material for that. And I thought, well, this is kind of a cool one. It's not overtly religious, but it still has something sacred about it. So I played it at a spiritual center and, you know, the response from people was overwhelming. I mean, there is a, there's, there's a, there's a spell that this song casts for whatever reason. There's a, there's a magic to the song. And I, and I really saw that clearly. Um, so I'd learned it. But then I forgot about it and I wasn't playing it. I never think about playing it ever. It's, it's not a song that's important to me in that way, you know? Well, I love um, your cover of it. And, you know, of course, I'll put links to Darius's music so you can hear Extraordinary and, and Hallelujah. I love your cover of it. And, and my, I feel like my rule of thumb is unless you bring something new to it, there's no point in covering it where you just do a great copy of what someone else has done. I really feel like you bring something. I, now, I haven't heard all 200 covers of it, right? Because it is the most favorite <laughs> song. But yeah. I love your version of it. I feel like you bring something to it. You have a richness in your voice that is so great for that song. But do you know the story behind Hallelujah? No, I don't. So there's actually a book written entirely about the song Hallelujah. It's called The Holier the Broken. Leonard Cohen, Jeff Buckley, and the Unlikely Ascent of Hallelujah. And I'd want to tell you this because you were saying how extraordinary you wrote it 10 years ago and how it's just, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the little engine that could, but it's taking its time chugging up. Uh, I think it was 16 years. I don't remember the exact number. 16 years before Hallelujah became a hit. And it didn't become a hit because of Leonard Cohen. It became a hit because of Jeff Buckley. That was my doorway to it, yeah. And there's a fabulous podcast. I literally just learned this maybe seven to 10 days ago. And so when I was thinking, when I heard it, and then I was thinking about our interview, I said, oh my gosh, I have to bring this up for Darius. There's an amazing podcast by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Revisionist History, where he talks about frequently misunderstood things. And he did a whole podcast on Hallelujah. So you'll have to listen to it and everyone else should listen to it because I think, you know, you're extraordinary could be hallelujah you know hey, if, hallelujah if, it, if that happens 
<laughs> if, if it happens in less than six years, you'll be ahead of Leonard Cohen. So there you go. So you, you never know, know when it's going to happen. That, that, that is another reason I forgot to mention as to why I was slow to embrace Hallelujah and even record it was because of uh, Jeff Buckley's version. I mean, uh, that, that version is one of those things that you hear and you remember where you were, or at least it was for me. I remember standing in New York City um, and that song came up on Jeff Buckley's album. I'd never heard it before. And I was just, everything stopped. I mean, that really is one of the most amazing recordings out there and performances of that song. And I always felt intimidated by that to the extent of like, well, why would I bother? You know? And that's why when I did record it, I thought, well, I just got to give this a whole new spin. You know I mean? I, there's no point trying to do this like Jeff did it or somebody else because I won't even touch it 90, you know, at all. So, yeah. Well, I love your take on it. And just so you know, Leonard Cohen worked on that song for five years before he recorded it. So there you go. <laughs> now, I do want to j make one little shift in our discussion before we wrap this up. So you and I have known each other a while. And Tiffany, your wife, was at the birth of my child. So that's how close we are. She's seen me naked, right? Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and. You, there was a challenging time that Tiffany was going through health-wise a few years ago. And one thing I wanted to talk about was because you and I have, what, we've both been with the person that we're with for about 20 years now, right? I think, I know we're about 20 years. I think you're around the Yeah, summer. yeah, yeah. And so as someone who's been in a long-term relationship, you know, it can be everything that, that your spouse goes through, that your partner goes through, affects you. And I remember being particularly concerned about your well-being during that challenging time for Tiffany because I saw how challenging it was for Tiffany. I know how, how, you know, how you guys really share a life and I knew it had to be hard on you. And so I was wondering if you had tips on how to keep yourself healthy mentally, physically, emotionally when, and fortunately, Tiffany is 100% wonderful, super healthy now. Um, but how you keep yourself healthy when your spouse or partner is going through a challenging time? What did you have any practices or what did you learn that maybe you could share with others? You know, that's a good question. I don't know whether I considered my own well being during that time. I think I probably focused all my uh, attention and concern and care on Tiffany's well-being, um, and it was a long it was a long period of time. It was um, three or four years that she was sick, and it had a real low a low dip in the middle where um, I was concerned for her life. Uh, As and, was I. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I I'd say more than anything else. I don't know whether I'm answering your question, but. <clears throat> I mean, it's just, it's that part in your vow um, where you say in sickness and in health. And, um, and, uh, and I, I was like, well, I'm really being challenged to hold by a promise I made. And that's kind of what carried me through in a way, apart from just loving her eternally and endlessly, just like, you know, this is, this is the sickness part. And um, we'd had a great run before that, you know, a decade of great health and just, you know, we, where we chased the stars together without, a moment of doubt about anything. And then suddenly, you know, all of that was taken away for a, quite an extended period of time. Um, 
But more, more than, I, I'd say that what I looked for were lessons in it, if that makes sense. Um, to, to be a stronger person than I thought I could be. Uh, to have faith for both of us when she was incapable of having any faith anymore, when she was in the darkest moments of her uh, sickness. Um, and more than what I did, more than what I, having a list of things that I did for myself during that time, I can look back and see all the things I got out of it for myself in the end, if that makes sense. Um, it made me stronger. It made our relationship stronger. Um, and um, I came, I, I was a better person through it than I thought I could have been in, looking back. You know what I mean? So in I a way, it, it gave me something in hindsight. Well, I mean, I always, I I feel like I've lived long enough now that I know that your your challenges are your lessons, right? And I think yeah. it's actually a very wise thing to ask what's the lesson. Because I believe that when you learn the lesson, the pain usually goes away pretty quickly. Yes. Um, so, well, thank you for that. Thank you, Darius. I love you guys. I miss you guys here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I love you too. Miss you. Miss Naldo Sean. <laughs> well, I, I'm gearing up now, so I'm going to go. But thank you for sharing that with the world. And I'll put lots of links Absolutely. below so you can hear Darius's music for yourself. Bye, Dee. Thank you, Allegra. Pleasure to chat with you and best of luck. for being more creative in the kitchen after the tunes. We're back and now for my tip on how to be more creative in the kitchen and also save time. You know, I am always trying to figure out what steps I can cut out of cooking something in order to save myself time because all I care about is that the food be delicious and that it be healthy. I have a lot of friends who are professional private chefs or work in restaurants and they have to think a lot about how food looks, the visual presentation or as it's sometimes called how the food is plated. 
When you're cooking for your family, that's not something you really have to think about. And I don't know about you, but I care more about the nutrition and the taste than I do about the visual appeal. I mean, I don't want it to look, you know, horrible, but that's just not the most important thing to me. So an easy way to save yourself time is to just cut something out if the only purpose it serves is to make a dish look a certain way. You know, I'm always cutting out things. You know, sometimes when you're baking, it'll tell you to put something in the refrigerator for a certain amount of time. I'm always seeing if I can cut that out. Now, sometimes it makes a difference and sometimes it doesn't. But the vast majority of the time, I found that there are steps that can be eliminated along the way that will not affect the taste at all. So, for instance, I do deconstructed devil eggs. It's actually in one of my webinars, my three no-cook cocktail party recipes webinar. And I don't take out the yolk and make a mousse and everything like that because I've found that by doing deconstructed deviled eggs, not only do people like it better because they can customize what they put on it, but it just saves you a whole heck of a lot of time. And it makes it much more easy to transport because deviled eggs are kind of difficult to transport because the mousse is so you know, persnickety. Um, another thing that I do is kebabs. I do deconstructed kebabs. So I don't go through the process of putting them on skewers par cooking them and then finishing them on a flame broiler because it's just so much easier to do it all at once to just bake it all at once in kind of a slab it's it's actually also one of my webinars you can see me doing the deconstructed kebabs so feel free to save yourself some time and be creative with recipes that you see if there's a step maybe sifting or refrigerating something or letting something sit Try eliminating it. It's the only way you're going to learn. Now, I can tell you a few things that I've learned. If you are baking and you want something to be extra crunchy or crispy, then refrigerating it often before you cook it often helps because having the fat really hard before it hits the oven makes things more crispy. Another thing that really helps, again, in baking, and baking by far is the most precise form of cooking because there's a lot of chemistry that goes on. So for instance, when I'm baking, I always let my batter sit for 10 minutes before I will put them into the oven in order to let baking powder and baking soda do the work of rising. So those are, those are two of the only rules that I found. Oh, one other rule again, baking because <laughs> baking is just challenging. When I'm baking a cake, I always, always sift the dry ingredients because cakes are supposed to be light and one way to make them lighter is to sift. So there you go. Three important rules, but trust me, most of the time you can eliminate stuff, save yourself time, and the dish will still taste delicious. Next week, you're going to hear from my friend Angela, who I introduced as one of my recurring guests back in episode five. And you're going to hear her story about why she decided to leave the only employer she's ever known in order to pursue her passion. And thanks for tuning in today. If you thought my show was fun or useful, please let me know by sending me a tip through Patreon at patreon.com slash Allegra Ramos or leaving me a message on iTunes or Google or wherever you listen to my podcast. And if you become a patron, I do have great thank you gifts for my supporters and look forward to when I have 500 patrons and can hire an editor to provide you with even more great content. As I mentioned, I'm going to be switching to an every other week format in order to keep up the quality of my podcast. And so I'll see you in a couple weeks for your dose of modern life, healthier, easier, and more fun. Subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. And if you'd like to submit questions, you can email me at hello at AllegraRamos.com 
Or if you download the free Anchor FM app, you can call into my show so I can play your question on the air. Until next time, be a spark in the world. Over now.